holy sweet mother of God shit. Hello, hello, hello. What, what, the, what the hell are you doing? I hope no one's eating dinner. The next best thing, every Monday night from 10 until midnight on Radio Free Brooklyn. Fun for everyone except for dear Jesus. Something like that. All right, now, let's talk some politics, okay? Okay, here we go. Folks? Folks, Super Tuesday has come and gone. And by now, everyone knows what happened, and if you don't, what's wrong with you? Last week, as I sat here and pontificated about my fears and concerns regarding how things would turn out if and when, because last week it looked very likely that Bernie Sanders would be the Democratic nominee. And I was not feeling great about that. I said unequivocally that it was now a race between him and Biden. And I have to tell you, you know, I had no idea what was about to take place. No one did. The political world, honestly, even after winning South Carolina, in a big way, the political world had all but written off Joe Biden. I mean, he finished fourth in Iowa. He finished fifth in New Hampshire. It was not looking good. His debate performances ranged from pretty good to, oh my God, is he okay? You know, there were times when I sat here and from this very microphone said that I felt like Joe Biden had lost a step. You know, he didn't have the chutzpah that he once did. And just wasn't nearly as charismatic or energetic or inspiring as I thought he needed to be in order to really win the nomination and beat Trump. Now, in my defense, I was basing that largely off of an actual in-person encounter that I had with the former vice president, thank you very much, last summer. Well, it was at the Hamptons Summer Gala held by the Greek Orthodox Church. Surely you've heard of it. Regardless. We were both there, and get this, I had actually seen Joe Biden there before, maybe three or four years ago. And frankly, he was gregarious, energetic, almost operatic in his speech patterns. But this last time I saw him, which was just a few months ago, he was looked kind of slow, muted. I mean, people could hardly hear him, even with a mic, which has never been a problem. For Joe Biden. And honestly, it did worry me and it kind of it made me kind of sad and it, it did affect my view on him as a candidate. But regardless, that all changed last Tuesday. That all changed. How did it change and why did it change? Well, let's talk about it. So before the voting ensued on Super Tuesday, virtually all polls and news outlets agreed that even the best case scenarios for Biden would have likely ended up with him trailing Bernie Sanders in the overall delegate count. Even if at the end of the day he was trailing Bernie by 50, 70, maybe even 100 delegates, that still would have been considered a good night for Biden. Well, folks, all I said, as I sit here, ladies and gentlemen, Joe Biden leads Bernie Sanders by a total of 91 delegates. 91. That is not a small number. Now, how is that possible? How could that be? They said the best case scenario was, well, frankly, for Joe Biden, a miracle took place. Biden collected a bonanza of important endorsements two Saturdays ago after a landslide victory in South Carolina. Pete Buttigieg, he dropped out first. 
like two days before Super Tuesday, which really bothered me. He had been my candidate. I still think he would have been great. Then Amy Klobuchar dropped out and they both endorsed Biden. Then on Super Tuesday, Joe Biden went out and won 10 of 14 states. I'm going to say that again. 10 out of 14 states. Oh my God. You see that? No one, no one expected that, including Biden himself. I mean, Biden won in places where black voters make all the difference, and he won in places where they make no difference whatsoever. He won in places like Massachusetts, Minnesota, Oklahoma, places he hadn't even really competed in. He hadn't gone to visit, didn't set up an office, hadn't really attempted to advertise. He won in Virginia by 30 points. He won Texas where Sanders' outreach to Latino voters was supposed to put him over the top. Wrong! He won, he won, he won. And he took the overall lead in the delegate count, and it's going to be very hard to catch him. Now, to all my Bernie bros, listen bros, mathematically, it's still possible for Biden to lose and for Bernie to win. And by all means, and hear me when I say this, if that happens, if Bernie wins... If Bernie Sanders is the nominee for president on the Democratic side, I've said this since day one, I'm going to say it again now. If Bernie's the nominee, I will absolutely, without question or hesitation, vote for him. Hell, I'll phone bank, knock on doors, do whatever I can for the guy. I want that to be crystal clear because it's absolutely true. Now, having said that, as we sit here, He's probably not going to be the nominee. Sorry, I know people are not going to like me saying that, but it's true. And it's not the result of any conspiracy or any DNC con job. It is much, much, much more likely that Joe Biden is going to be the Democratic nominee for president. He wasn't my first choice. I liked Pete. I liked other people. I'm not ecstatic about Joe Biden being the candidate, the idea of that. but. To deny it is is ridiculous, needless, childish. To deny it is to have your head in the sand, okay? Now look, I understand that a lot of people, certainly a lot of people who listen to Radio Free Brooklyn, probably aren't going to like me pointing this stuff out. But don't you think it's best we just come to terms with the reality of the situation? Honestly, come on now, we're all adults here. Regardless... And this is the most important thing to remember. Any Democrat, any Democrat is better than that bloated, orange-faced sack of shit, right? Am I right? Any normal, rational, level-headed human being knows that and is willing to say that. Now, let's take a step back and look at the big picture, shall we? Joe Biden's sudden surge And the fact that he will be the Democratic nominee, that's a good thing. I'm sorry, folks. I'm just going to say it. It is good for Democrats. It is good for America. I made this case clear last week. I was depressed last week because I knew that if Bernie Sanders was the nominee, that was really going to hurt down ballot candidates. And that was going to probably limit what could possibly get done for Democrats under his administration. And if you don't believe me, that's fine. But I'm not the only one who thinks so. Here is former Chicago mayor 
And Obama Chief of Staff Rahm Emanuel, here's how he recently put it, and we can literally already see the benefit that having Joe Biden at the top of the ticket is having. Uh, Rahm, let's begin with this uh, Super Tuesday fallout. I mean, we were here a week ago. I don't think anyone could have predicted the kind of finish that Joe Biden would have. I mean, you just heard Bernie Sanders right there saying it's the Democratic establishment. It does seem like the party has closed ranks behind him so fast. No, without it, faster than anybody ever predicted. And I would say one thing that he's already materially benefited the Democratic Party, Montana. You all of a sudden had a state that with no Senate race. The Senate's now in play where before it was maybe one out of three. Steve Bullock's going to run. Yeah, Governor Bullock's going to run already. And that happened because of Joe Biden. If Bernie Sanders looked like he had basically split Super Tuesday or or done better, you would not have a Montana race. And that's changed everybody's prediction and calculation in the Senate. Yeah, the Senate is now in play. And that's huge. That is hugely important. It's hugely important, okay? And I know, I mean, like, you got to step back and look at the big picture. You just have to. And Rahm Emanuel, you know, people can say what they will about him, but he's not the only one who thinks that having Joe Biden at the top of the ticket is good. Far from it. Rachel Bittekoffer, the top data analyst at the nonpartisan uh, Niskanen Center, she was on Bill Maher's show last week, and she seems to think things look very bright for Democrats because Joe Biden took the lead and is probably going to be the nominee. The Senate in 2020. What's your prediction on that? The Senate. Because if we don't get the Senate, then it's all kind of moot. So now that the socialist prospect has been vanquished and the party will not be running against itself, which is a really critical element. Yes, um, the uh, Colorado and Maine are definitely flipping, as will Arizona. So the question is... Wait, which ones are flipping? Colorado, Colorado, Maine, and Arizona. Okay. Yeah, so when my forecast for the House and the Senate come out, we'll be talking about at least six House seats in addition to the ones they gained in 2018. Um, but that's because they didn't understand in this new environment where to spend money. It's in these realigning suburbs, which are, by the way, realigning because of the millennial generation who are now 40. They're balding. They own houses. <laughs> right. They're not college kids. <laughs> and they were sitting on their ass not voting before, but now they're freaked out. Okay. And so when we look at the suburban uh, revolution, it's not Republican women singing kumbaya and having like buyer's remorse. In fact, if you look at my analyses, which I really urge you guys to do, anyone who's hearing this, please do, uh, you're going to see Republicans are, are, are stoked on Donald Trump. They love what this man is doing. They're not disaffected. They showed up. They increased their turnout in 2018. And uh, Democrats are actually flipping seats because of independents and Democrats who are changing the composition of the electorate. They're making it less white, younger, more female, and better educated. And that's what's saving America. And that's what's saving America. Because we won't be battling ourselves, she says, but won't we be? That's the key question. By the way, she has a lot of credibility lately. She's kind of the it girl in predictions because she, more than anyone else, predicted the 2018 outcomes of the 2018 midterms, almost 100% accurately. Now, think about this for a second. That demographic she just described, better educated, young women, they made up a huge chunk of Elizabeth Warren supporters. Now, I don't think I mentioned this, but Elizabeth Warren has also suspended her presidential campaign. And I know a lot of people are sad about that. And it is sad. It's sad. We live in a very misogynist country. 
And I don't know why anyone would be surprised by that after what happened in 2016. But the demographic you just heard described by Rachel Bittacover, that is almost exactly who made up the biggest chunk of Elizabeth Warren's base. And guess what, folks? A lot of people assumed that once Elizabeth Warren got out of the race, her supporters would flock to Bernie. That's a kind of a delusion that they that people are telling themselves. The majority of those people have not been getting behind Bernie since she dropped out. They've been getting behind Biden. Reuters just published a story today about how, according to a new Reuters-Ipsos national opinion poll, 47% of registered Democrats and independents said they would vote for Biden if their state's nominating contests were held today. That's up seven points from a similar poll taken before Warren dropped out of the race. 30% said they would vote for Sanders. That is identical to what the exact same poll said before she dropped out. So Biden has gone up seven points since Elizabeth Warren left. Sanders has gone up zero. Surprised? Frankly, that doesn't surprise me at all. For one thing, anyone who supported any of the other candidates has more than likely grown a little bit hostile towards Sanders' supporters, more so his supporters than Sanders himself. But frankly, it's hard not to because for no other reason than their penchant for cyberbullying and their pompous nature. Sorry, but I've been a lot of Bernie Sanders supporters have been assholes online, really obnoxious assholes. Now, that's not all of them. Certainly not all of them have been, but a lot have been. And you know who knows it better than anybody? Elizabeth Warren. I mean, it's unbelievable what she was dealing with. People were, Bernie, now, I hope to God these were Russian bots. Only I don't because I don't want to think Russian bots are interfering in our election again. Regardless, people were going over the top attacking her online over the top, calling her a snake, saying she was stealing votes from Bernie, she was ruining this election, saying that they were threatening to um, find someone to primary her in Massachusetts. And she talks about this. Don't think that that didn't get to her because she went on Rachel Maddow's show and talked about it. And she specifically said, yes, this is a problem. And it's a problem with Bernie's supporters. She singled them out on national TV, much like he singled her out when he called her a liar on national TV during one of the debates. Remember that? Remember that? I mean, Bernie people may have forgotten about that or or thought it wasn't a big deal, but I assure you, Senator Warren did not like that and has probably not forgotten that. I'm not sure she'll ever forget that. I think you called me a liar on national TV. I think you called me a liar on national TV. Let's not do it right now. You want to have that discussion? We'll have that Anytime. discussion. You called me. You told me. All right, let's not do it. Now. I don't want to get in the middle of it. I just want to say hi, Bernie. Yeah, good. Yeah, I don't think she's going to forget that. Now, once again, I'm not the only one who feels this way. Robert Costa and others were recently on MSNBC talking to Nicole Wallace about what Elizabeth Warren is likely to do and who she is likely to support now that she's out of the race. Robert Costa, is it a foregone conclusion that when she endorses, it will be Sanders? Or is there any reporting that suggests she's also looking at Joe Biden? 
My reporting, based on conversations with top Democratic officials, is that she could go toward Biden. Her relationship with Senator Sanders has frayed throughout the course of this campaign for many of the reasons we've discussed in this program. And because of that, she's now deciding, does she want to be an influencer in Joe Biden's campaign? Should he become the nominee and try to be the, the liberal stalwart who pushes him to the left? Or does she try to give Senator Sanders a critical boost at this juncture? That's her choice voice right now uh-huh interesting isn't it he said that he was talking to people from her campaign that's what they are saying and here's another panelist talking about basically what i was saying earlier in regards to who made up warren's base and where they're likely to turn now that she is not a candidate I've looked through the polling data, and if you look at who her base is, white, college-educated, suburban moms, the very liberal uh, white women, also some African-American minority women who support her, but Mm -hmm. college-educated women who are in the suburbs, those are the women who made the difference, for instance, in the 2018 elections in Virginia. Those are the women who waited in the rain uh, to try and put a check on President Trump. Those women are actually really worried about a second Trump presidency, more worried uh, than they are about not getting a progressive agenda or having a a revolution, so to say. And those are the women, if you just look to Michigan right now, that you're starting to see coalesce around Biden. There is still some Sanders support there, but it is is really false to assume that just because she falls further on the progressive horizon, you know, uh, towards towards, um, Bernie Sanders, that all of her people are just going to go to Bernie Sanders. Yeah, false false impression to do that. And by the way, you know, besides all of this kind of animus that may have built up between Warren and Bernie or the supporters, let's think about this. You know, Elizabeth Warren was famous for having a plan for everything. I have a plan for that. I'm a fighter. Well, Bernie can't tell us how he's going to pay for most of his things. That probably doesn't appeal to Elizabeth Warren. She had a plan for everything. She liked to know how things were going to get done. Real, actual plans. But, okay, aside from all that, I want to talk for a minute about what I'm seeing happen now. Now, I mentioned earlier that Bernie Sanders supporters can be assholes online. And I just want to say that I apologize for that being the case. It is the case. It is true. And it's really, really starting to piss me off. Why? I don't care that you guys don't like Joe Biden. That's fine. That's totally fine. Promote your candidate. I'm not here to tell you to stop supporting Bernie, but do it by promoting Bernie. You don't need to degrade the other candidates. You don't need to bully their supporters. People don't like that, and it's not going to bode well if and when Bernie ever gets nominated for something important, be it the presidency or anything else where you need a bigger coalition than just the bros. It matters. And by the way, it enrages me that I'm seeing this again. This happened in 2016. How in the world, how in the world did we not learn our lesson? By the way, before I even launch into this tirade, I just want to make it clear. If you disagree, if you want to chime in on this, you can tweet at us. We are at Next Best Radio. That's at Next Best Radio. Or if you're really feeling like 
you want to go all out and write. It's more than 140 characters, more than something you'd feel comfortable posting on a Facebook wall. You can always feel free to send us an email. We are at nextbestthing at radiofreebrooklyn.org. Okay, so in my experience, I just want to I just want to read to you guys some of the things I've seen posted on social media, mainly Facebook, within the past five to six days. Now, keep in mind, all of these are things that were posted by people I know and in some cases, people I'm close friends with. Here's the first one, quote, So what is it that encapsulates Biden's campaign that we can all get behind? Because honestly, it feels like people are pushing for him because he was Obama's VP and he's not Bernie. Is that going to be enough to inspire people to come out and vote for him and beat number 45? I mean, I'm just not buying it. Now, what I honestly wanted to say to that, well, not going to get into that. You know, it feels like people are pushing for him because he was Obama's VP and he's not Bernie. Really? Obama's VP and not Bernie? That's awfully reductive, don't you think? Good God. I mean, Joe Biden was in public service for 39 years, 39 years before ever being tapped by Obama for VP. Four years on city council, 35 years as the senator from Vermont. It's reductive of his career in public service. It's also really reductive of the over 6 million people who just voted for him. This was posted by a friend of mine after Super Tuesday. To... Act like people voted for him just because he's Obama's VP. That's really reductive and belittling. And that's why, I mean, that is a perfect example of an annoying thing for a Bernie supporter to say and think. Now, obviously, the people who voted for him, they saw something that they liked. They like him, something that appealed to them, or at the very least got them to vote for Joe Biden. You know, maybe they maybe it was the simple fact that they thought, he could beat Trump. He was our best shot at beating Trump. Or, get this, maybe they like him. Maybe they're inspired by him and they like him. I don't know why we are all acting like this is some kind of villain here. For fuck's sake. I mean, come on. Joe Biden is a good, compassionate man. And no one... Not Bernie, Elizabeth Warren, Andrew Yang, anyone other than Donald Trump has ever said anything bad about him, frankly. I mean, do they have disagreements when it comes to policy and implementation and all that stuff? Of course. But frankly, I would argue they have far fewer differences in that regard than most Bernie supporters seem to think. Here's another post. Quote, Sanders has to go on the offensive hitting Joe hard on trade, Social Security, the crime bill, Wall Street bailout, bankruptcy bill, DOMA, Iraq war, and repealing Glass-Steagall. Biden will likely stumble over himself having to speak for 50 minutes of a two-hour debate. Sanders has to talk about unity if he regains the front-runner status especially. That's what moderates want to hear. All okay, let's break this down. There's a lot to unpack here. He needs to go on the offensive. Hit Biden on. Well, let's see. The crime bill, 
Bernie can't attack Biden on the crime bill, and I hope you know why. If not, I'll tell you. Bernie voted for the crime bill, goddammit. <laughs> to attack Biden for it would be absurd and stupid. It would be absurd and stupid. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. Now, I have no doubt he'll attack him for the Iraq war, but frankly, this argument is growing a little tired, to say the least. I mean, Bernie has mentioned the fact that he didn't vote for Iraq as a difference between him and other candidates probably 8,000 times since 2015. Now, I'm not saying it's meaningless, but honestly, at this point, who is that going to sway? Who doesn't know that? Someone who just decides to tune into politics after not caring for five years? Maybe, but I don't think there are that many of those people. DOMA, that stands for the Defense of Marriage Act. Now, that's pretty much a moot point because most people who pay attention know that Joe Biden came out as being pro-gay marriage before Obama did. In fact, many have said that he forced Obama's hand on the issue because he said publicly in an interview that he was for it and he thought it should be legalized. Okay, so let's be real here. Now, let's talk for just a minute about the whole idea he says here in this post. Biden will stumble over himself during a one-on-one two-hour debate. Folks, (laughs) folks, 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 if you really think that Biden's going to do worse in a one-on-one debate where he actually has time to respond to questions and flesh out his thoughts and ideas than he did in those speed round debates with 12 people on stage, you're kidding yourself. Go back and watch some highlights from his 2012 debate with Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan is 27 years younger than Joe Biden. He's known as a policy wonk and a deficit hawk. Regardless, Joe Biden made him look like a clueless fool. He wiped the floor with Paul Ryan. Now, that was eight years ago, sure, and Biden may not be as sharp as he used to be, but I hardly think he'll be the gaff-prone, out-of-sorts guy that we saw at times in the early debates where he had 20 seconds to explain himself on deep, important, detailed stuff, and he was being attacked from all angles by all people. I don't think he'll be quite as out of sorts. And in case you won't go back and listen to that debate, I want to play a little bit for you. Here he is. This is in 2012 when he was debating Paul Ryan. So will both of you level with the American people? Can you get unemployment to under 6% and how long will it take? I don't know how long it will take. We can and we will get it under 6%. Let's let's take a look at the facts. Let's look at uh, where we were when we came to office. The economy was in free fall. We had the Great Recession hit. Nine million people lost their job. 1.7%. $1.6 trillion in wealth lost in equity in your homes and retirement accounts for the middle class. We knew we had to act for the middle class. We immediately went out and rescued General Motors. We went ahead and made sure that we cut taxes for the middle class. And in addition to that, when that, ha- and when that occurred, what did Romney do? Romney said, no, let Detroit go bankrupt. We moved in and helped people refinance their homes. Governor Romney said, no, let foreclosures hit the bottom. 
But it shouldn't be surprising for a guy who says 47% of the American people are unwilling to take responsibility for their own lives. My friend recently in a speech in Washington said 30% of the American people are takers. These people are my mom and dad, the people I grew up with, my neighbors. They pay more effective tax than Governor Romney pays in his federal income tax. They are elderly people who, in fact, are living off of Social Security. They are veterans and people fighting in Afghanistan right now who are, quote, not paying any taxes. I've had it up to here with this notion that 47%, it's about time they take some responsibility here. And instead of signing pledges to Grover Norquist, not to ask the wealthiest among us to contribute to bring back the middle class, they should be signing a pledge saying to the middle class, we're gonna level the playing field. We're gonna give you a fair shot again. We are going to not repeat the mistakes we made in the past by having a different set of rules for Wall Street and Main Street, making sure that we continue to hemorrhage these tax cuts for the super wealthy. They're pushing the continuation of a tax cut that will give an additional $500 billion in tax cuts to 120,000 families. And they're holding hostage the middle class tax cut because they say we won't pass, we won't continue the middle class tax cut unless you give the tax cut for the super wealthy. It's about time they take some responsibility. Mr. Ryan. Joe and I are from similar towns. He's from Scranton, Pennsylvania. I'm from Janesville, Wisconsin. You know what the unemployment rate in Scranton is today? I sure do. It's 10%. Yeah. You know what it was the day you guys came in? 8.5%. Yeah. That's how it's going all around America. Look. You don't read the statistics. That's not how it's going. It's going this down. This is two-minute answer, L look. please. <laughs> all right. I don't want to play. I mean, that's a long clip I played, but did you hear how decisive how responsive, how declarative, and how frankly confident and assured he sounds when he has one person to respond to and he's prepared. He, kn he knows what the talking points are going to be. I don't think you can count on Joe Biden being out of sorts and stumbling over himself in a one-on-one -on -one debate, Bernie people. And I think that's a stupid thing to even think about. Ugh. Now, I want to go back to the crime bill for just a second because I know that Bernie people love to bring that up. Even when I remind them that Bernie voted for it, I usually get responses like this. This is an actual response. Quote, well, there's nuance in the crime bill. Bernie voted for it because the Violence Against Women Act was attached to it. But Bernie hated the crime bill and he spoke out about how terrible it was. Joe, on the other hand, he actually wrote the damn bill. End quote. Now, you know, that's a Bernie person by how that quote ended. But let me just say, first of all, Bernie hated it, really. If Bernie hated it all that much, but still voted for it, then he needs to get a CAT scan. No one forced his hand. Give me a break. Secondly, this guy talks about nuance, so let's talk about some nuance. He mentions that the Violence Against Women Act was attached to it. Yes, that's true. It was. The Violence Against Women Act provided more resources to crack down on domestic violence and rape. That was in the crime bill. So was a provision that helped fund background checks for guns. The law encouraged states to back drug courts, which attempt to divert drug offenders from prison into treatment. And it also helped fund some addiction treatment. Now, I have to assume that Bernie supports all of those things, though you never know when it comes to guns. Regardless, unless you're willing to say that those things, Violence Against Women Act, 
background checks on guns, better treatment for people with drug problems than going to prison. Unless you're willing to say that that stuff isn't worth getting the crime bill passed, then I don't know how in the world you try and use it against Biden. Now, folks, it's stupid because Bernie voted for it, but it's also it's also obnoxious because people bring up the crime bill blindly without knowing what's in it. Everything I just said to you, people probably don't know was in the crime bill. But those are all really important things. And for anything that's in there that you don't like, here's what I would say. Find me a bill, law, executive order, treaty, whatever. Find me anything official that is 100% perfect, immaculate, you wouldn't change a thing. Those bills, those laws, those don't exist. And the reason they don't exist is simple. First of all, they all require the approval of more than one person. And two, they were written at a certain time, in a certain context, with a certain goal in mind. Times, norms, cultures, goals, societies, they change and evolve over time. Now, one would hope that such evolution gives us the wisdom to know that laws, bills, those things don't change. They don't change unless humans go back and change them, which is possible to do without tearing them down and starting from scratch, I would add. Healthcare. But that's why when you gripe about some bill from 1994 because of maybe one or two things in it that you don't like, well, you have to put them in the context of the time and you have to weigh them against the good things that were in that bill. And if you hate those things, one or two things, they can be changed. They can be changed. That's called governance. Last thing, I'm not really sure what point they're trying to make by reminding me that while Bernie voted for it, Joe helped write it. I mean, other than perhaps the fact that Joe put significantly more work into it. But let's not be fucking silly, okay? Let's not be silly and act as if Joe Biden wrote the crime bill alone in his basement. Okay, that crime bill was the result of years of work by Biden and others. Biden, yes, he played a big role because he oversaw the Senate Judiciary Committee at the time, but other Democrats and even some Republicans had to work on it. Why? Well, it certainly wasn't because Republicans were just super fun and the Democrats wanted to hang out with them. I guarantee you that was not the case. They were in on it because they were going to have a say in whether or not the final bill got passed. Folks, Republicans aren't going away, whether we want them to or not. So to act like we can pass things with zero support from any of them is stupid. It's narrow-minded and delusional. Now, now, I also should point out that Biden openly admits that the crime bill wasn't perfect. He even opposed some parts of it at the time. There's a 1994 article in which he called a three strikes provision that escalated prison sentences. He called that wacko and illustrative of Congress being tough on crime and that, that mentality. He hated it. But it was worth getting all of those good things we've talked about. That's just how things work. That's just how things work, if they're going to work at all. 
Now, if you want Bernie to win the nomination, fine. Promote him. Promote him. Promote him. Campaign for him. But let me share with you something that just really fucking pissed me off recently. And it is a perfect example of what I was talking about with Bernie supporters, some Bernie supporters being assholes and doing more damage than good. Okay, ready? Here we go. So Donald Trump and his campaign recently promoted a dishonest video, flagrantly edited to wrongly make it look like Biden accidentally stumbled over his words and endorsed Trump. Flagrantly edited, totally dishonest, promoted by Trump. I saw that video posted four times by four different Bernie supporters. How, what's wrong with you people? And the video now has more than six million views. For the love of God, you know, before posting something negative, something questionable, take some goddamn time to check the source and ask yourself what good it's doing. I am so fed up with, I've seen so much hate on Biden. And this is a big one. It's not just this video, but frankly, it does piss me off to know that Bernie supporters are doing Russia's work for them, doing Russia and Trump's work for them. But other things, comments on his cognitive ability, he's clearly in decline and blah, 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 blah. What are you talking about? You know, like that is so unnecessary and wrong. And what good is it doing? He's probably going to be the nominee. So unless you want Trump to win, what good is that doing? By the way, Bernie Sanders is older than Joe Biden, and he just had a heart attack. So what are you doing talking about ageism? What good is this doing? None! It is doing no good for anyone but Trump and maybe Russia. And by the way, to all of these people out there saying that Joe Biden is clearly in cognitive decline, he's got like dementia, he's, he's in bad shape. I want to play a little something for you. Enjoy. Oh, God love you. What am I talking about? I tell you what, you're making everybody else stand up, though, pal. Thank you very, very much. I tell you what, stand up for Chuck. As Barack says, a three-letter word, jobs. J-O-B-S, jobs. And thank you, uh, Dr. Pepper, and thank you, Chancellor, or Dr. Paper, and thank you, Chancellor. A man who will be the next president of the United States, Barack America. But the Taoiseach knows a lot about it. His mom uh, lived in, uh, in Long Island for 10 years or so. Uh, God rest her soul. And uh, um, although she's, wait, your mom's still, your mom's still alive as your dad passed. God bless her soul. I got to get this straight. Now is the time to heed the timeless advice from Teddy Roosevelt. Speak softly and carry a big stick. End of quote. I promise you, the president has a big stick. I promise you. All right. My point is, Joe Biden has always said funny things. He's always kind of made gaffes. And who gives a shit? Who gives a shit? Might I remind you who is in the White House right now? God damn it. Through their lives and though their lives were cut short. And very importantly, air traffic controllers will highly 
And this will be highly valued. These are highly valued people. These are amazing people. They work two jobs and sometimes three jobs. They sacrifice every day for the furniture and future of their children. Is appropriate and proportionate to measure and other measures taken prevent Iran from developing an internet, and this is so totally important, an intercontinental ballistic missile. No collusion, no obstruction. I hope they now go and take a look at the oranges, the oranges of the uh, uh, investigation, the beginnings of that investigation. The Mueller report, I wish, covered the oranges, how it started. The op-ed published in the failing New York Times by an anonymous, really an anonymous, gutless coward. You just look. California passed an outrageous law declaring their whole state to be a sanctuary for criminal illegal. Democrats decided to shield and shelter criminal. Look, look, wait. You have criminals. <laughs> and let me begin by wishing you a beautiful look. You remember this? Do you remember? And they say the noise causes cancer. You tell me that one, okay? You know, the thing makes sure Okay. So, that's who's in the White House right now. So, if you want to talk about cognitive decline or maybe a not ideal mental state, there's your example. And there's the enemy. That's who we want to beat. And by the way, 538, this is a change. As I sit here right now, 538 gives Joe Biden a 99% chance of being the nominee. 99%. Bernie has fallen to 1%. Tomorrow is another big day for primaries and caucuses. We've got Michigan, Washington, Missouri, Mississippi, Idaho, North Dakota, they are all voting tomorrow, and most of those states are not great for Bernie. So we're going to see what happens, especially with Michigan. But guess what, folks? The Michigan, the governor of Michigan came out and endorsed Joe Biden. You know who else has? Kamala Harris. Cory Booker today came out and endorsed Joe Biden. So we've got Pete Buttigieg, Amy Klobuchar, Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, the governor of Michigan, plenty of other governors, the Brady campaign fighting gun violence, they have officially endorsed Joe Biden. So take some time to take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. And remember who the real villain is here. It is not Joe Biden. I'm running for president to restore the soul of this country. You know, uh, we have a president, as everybody's acknowledged here, every day is ripping at the social fabric of this country. But no one man has the capacity to rip that apart. It's too strong. We're too good. Donald Trump's cynicism is unbounded. His lack of empathy and compassion. I mean, really, I'm not joking. Think about that. Think about that. Think about everything you learned as a child. No matter where you were raised. In the face of such hate, silence and inaction are not permissible. They're inexcusable. And to those who try to excuse this kind of discrimination in the name of culture, whether it's the State Department or other elected officials, 
would say that is a different culture. There is no justification in any circumstances to deal with people in an inhumane way. None, none, none. Not religious, not culture, not anything, not history, period. We're required to do our part to stand up, change the law, the policies that for too long have denied people of equality, stripped them of their dignity, put them in harm's way. We have so much more to do, but it's sometimes important to look back. We abolished don't ask, don't tell. We laid the groundwork for the military that fully includes everyone, including transgender troops, women in combat, together. Together, because of you, we passed hate crimes bill, bearing Matthew Shepard's name. We lifted the HIV travel ban. We authorized Violence Against Women Act, one of the greatest accomplishments in my professional life. We passed the Affordable Care Act. And both laws, both laws are fundamental to protecting the safety and dignity of every lesbian, gay, transgender American, period. Mr. President, this is America. This is America. This is America. One week later, Joe Biden's going to be the Democratic nominee. That's just how it is. I have no interest in kabukiing people and talking about this like it's a competitive race. At this point, it is not. And yet, having said that, the last two Democrats remaining in the fight for the nomination faced off last night in a one-on-one debate. It took place. It was on CNN between Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. Joe Biden had a huge night last Tuesday. He's going to win. I mean, he's going to be the nominee. Period. Period. A couple of things about this debate, though. The first 45 minutes or so was devoted exclusively to the coronavirus and how they would handle this current crisis. Take a listen. First of all, I have to take care of those who in fact are exposed or likely to be exposed to the virus. And that means we have to do testing. We have to get the testing kits up and ready. I would have the World Health Organization. I'd take advantage of the test kits they have available to us. Even though the president says a million or more are coming, let's just get all the tests we can done as quickly as we can. Secondly, I would make sure that every state in the union had at least 10 places where they had drive-through testing arrangements. I would also, at this point, deal with the need to begin to plan for the need for additional hospital beds. We have that capacity in the Department of Defense, as well as, in the, uh, as, well as with the uh, uh, FEMA. And they can set up 100-bed, 500-bed hospitals in tents quickly. We have to lay all that out. But we have to deal with the economic fallout quickly. And that means making sure the people who, in fact, lose their job, don't get a paycheck, can't pay their mortgage, are able to pay it and pay them now and do it now. Small businesses be able to borrow interest-free loans. First thing we have got to do, whether or not I'm president, is to shut this president up right now. Because he is undermining the doctors and the scientists who are trying to help the American people. It is unacceptable for him to be blabbering with unfactual information, which is confusing the general public. This is an unprecedented moment in American history. Now, I obviously believe in Medicare for all. I will fight for that as president. But right now, in this emergency, I want every person in this country to understand that when you get sick, you go to the doctor. When you get sick, if you have the virus, that will be paid for. 
Do not worry about the costs right now because we're in the middle of a national emergency. Second of all, we have to make sure that our hospitals have the ventilators that they need, have the IC units that they need. Right now, we have a lack of medical personnel. And I worry very much that if there is a peak, whether we have the capability of dealing with hundreds of thousands of people who may be in hospitals. So we need unprecedented action right now to deal with the unprecedented crisis. And bottom line, from an economic point of view, what we have got to say to the American people, if you lose your job, you will be made whole. With all due respect to Medicare for all, you have a single payer system in Italy. It doesn't work there. It has nothing to do with Medicare for all. That would not solve the problem at all. We can take care of that right now by making sure that no one has to pay for treatment, period, because of the crisis. No one has to pay for whatever drugs are needed, period, because of the crisis. No one has to pay for hospitalization because of the crisis, period. That is a national emergency, and that's how it's handled. It is not working in Italy right now, and they have a single-payer system. All right. So, first of all, before I say anything, I just want to point one thing out, first and foremost. Who the hell wouldn't feel more comfortable with either one of these men leading our country through this crisis right now over Donald Trump? Would anyone prefer Trump? How many people out there would actually prefer Donald Trump? None! That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Thank you for that. Okay, so before we get into the minutia of this debate, I just want to say, how much better was this debate without a live audience? They did that apparently only because of the coronavirus, not just because it's better. I think they should do that every debate, whether there's a coronavirus or not. It is so much better without the goddamn audience. This is not a world wrestling entertainment event. I know that's actually been a pretty popular sentiment going around, but seriously, let's do away with the live audiences forever. It wastes time for these applause breaks and stupid hoot and hollering. Anyway, to anyone... And everyone who thought this was who thought a one on one debate was going to expose Joe Biden and that he was just going to spend 50 minutes bumbling around, tripping over his words and being out of sorts. You were dead wrong. I said you would be dead wrong. I was proven you, in fact, were dead wrong. Most pundits, to be honest, from what I've been reading, most the general consensus is kind of that both men had a good night. I don't really think so frankly. I'm not going to lie. The truth is this debate was never really going to make much of a difference. 538 currently has Biden with a 99% chance of winning the nomination. 99% chance. So I don't really see the point in acting like this is still a competitive race. It is not. Unless Joe Biden said or did something just totally outlandish last night something just completely awful to self-sabotage himself, then Bernie was not going to get much of a boost. And certainly Joe Biden did not do that. And so there we are. But more importantly, I don't think both men had a great night. I think Biden had a good night. He seemed measured. He seemed responsive. He actually answered questions. He seemed presidential, frankly. And Bernie just seemed irritating. I mean, he seemed desperate, frankly. He was using the same tired old talking points we've all heard a thousand times before. And it kind of exposed him, frankly, as a 
one-trick pony. I was a little surprised, honestly, by how aggressive Bernie was and how determined he was to just repeatedly go after Biden about, frankly, stuff that people didn't know about, stuff that people didn't care about, stuff that is not relevant. You know, Bernie had no interest in answering the questions put to him. And you knew that because he started every answer with, yeah, I'll get to that in just a minute. First, I want to point out that in 1972, Joe Biden voted. Who cares? I'm sorry, but these, it was ridiculous stuff. It was ridiculous stuff. And seeing as how Biden's going to be the nominee, that only serves to hurt him in the long run. And why Bernie would want to do that, I don't know. But the thing is, the question could be, Bernie, your wife, Jane, has been accused of selling cocaine. Can you tell us, is that true? He would have said, I'll get to that in a moment. First, I'm going to point out that Joe did not support gay marriage in the 80s. Who, you know, bringing up certain votes Biden took in 1984, 1991, 1976, it was obnoxious and it was a waste of time. Does anyone out there really think that Joe Biden is, is, is for cutting Social Security? Does anyone in the world think that Joe Biden is, a, is secretly against gay marriage? Joe Biden went on national television and said he was for gay marriage before Obama did. He kind of forced his hand on that issue. Give me a break. What does that have to do with anything that's going on today? Gay marriage is a settled issue, for God's sakes. Really, we've got this coronavirus going on, and Bernie's bringing up votes about settled issues from the 70s, 80s, 90s. Oh, repeatedly, that's all he wanted to do. Ugh. And Joe Biden responded in kind. He handled each attack, I thought. The two biggest headlines from the night came from Joe Biden, of course, which was just another sign that he clearly won the night. During the debate, Joe Biden committed to not only putting a black woman on the Supreme Court, but to selecting a woman to be his running mate, selecting a woman to be the next vice president. I commit that I will, in fact, appoint a, I'll pick a woman to be vice president. There are a number of women who are qualified to be president tomorrow. I would pick a woman to be my vice president. You just committed here tonight that your running mate, if you get the nomination, will be a woman? Yes. The vice president committed to picking a woman as his running mate. If you get the nomination, will you? Uh, in all likelihood, I, I will. Uh, for me, it's not just uh, nominating uh, or uh, a woman. It is making sure that we have a progressive women, and there are progressive women out there. So my very strong tendency is to move in that direction. Interesting, isn't it? Joe Biden was unequivocal. She said, sir, I just want to clarify. Did you just commit to picking a woman as your vice president? Yes. Senator Sanders, would you do the same? Uh, well, maybe. Uh, he waffled on it. Now, I can't really blame him for that because, frankly, it's um. It's pretty unheard of to make such a commitment to anything like that, to really nail yourself down to a position, to a decision like that. But if he feels strongly enough to do it, then good for him. Joe Biden, that is. Caught Bernie off guard. Caught Bernie off guard. Reverend Al Sharpton had an interesting take here on how that went down, on how he felt like it was actually a huge missed opportunity on Bernie's part. The other thing I think that uh, I was surprised that Bernie missed that is when uh, Joe Biden committed to putting a black woman on the Supreme Court 
and a woman as a running mate. And Bernie Sanders kind of equivocated on whether you do a woman and never made a commitment to blacks at all. I mean, here's where he's been weak. And uh, in terms of getting black voter support, he never mentioned what he would do in terms of appointing a black or assembling a black at all, which is shocking given his record. Thought it was a missed opportunity. Interesting. I mean, true. True enough. No one ever doubts I mean what I say. It's just that sometimes I say all that I mean. But folks, let me tell you what I literally tell every world leader I met with, and I've met them all. It's never, never, never been a good bet to bet against America. We have the finest fighting force in the world. Not only do we have the largest economy in the world, we have the strongest economy in the world. We have the most productive workers in the world. And given a fair shot, given a fair chance, Americans have never, ever, ever, ever let their country down. Never. Never. Ordinary people like us who do extraordinary things. We've had candidates before attempted to get elected by appealing to our fears, but they've never succeeded because we do not scare easily. We never bow. We never bend. We never break when confronted with crisis. No, we endure. We overcome. And we always, always, always move forward. That's why. That's why I can say with absolute conviction the 21st century is going to be the American century because because we lead not only by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. That is the history of the journey of America. And God willing, we will write the next chapter in that journey. We are America, second to none, and we own the finish line. Don't forget it. God bless you all, and may God protect our troops. Come on. We're America. You're listening to the next best thing. You're listening to the next best thing. Ding, 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 dong.